Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a legend, a bonafide legend from the band, the OCs, from the band Pink and Brown, from the band The Hospitals, from the band The Coach Whips, we could go on and on. John Dwyer is here on the show today, and this is a good one, but more on that in one second. First, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it. Let them know that you listen to this podcast or go to turnedoutapunk.com and buy a t-shirt and uh, thank you to everyone that has done that. Very much appreciated. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to it and rating it on your platform of choice helps somehow. I don't really know how, but it does. Uh, I've been told. At least that's what I've been told. Oh, I play in a band called Fucked Up. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff happening. Go over to fuckedup.cc to find out more about records that are coming out, tours, and and the whatnot. You know, I got I got two tours under my belt now. It's safe to say that... I will be playing more. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Who knows what's going to happen. But it looks like we'll be playing more. Go to fuckedup.cc and find out more information. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, John Dwyer is here. John is someone that I I fear. I fear John because every time I wind up having to play a show with him and I have to go on after him, it's like the toughest slot you could ask for. You know, having to go on after that band, it's a... Uh, it's 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 like trying to follow up a hurricane with uh with like a light drizzle or something. They are fantastic. They are monsters live. John, of course, has been someone who has been doing it for a long time now, starting way back and landed. We talk about all this stuff. He is someone who, as I said off the top, he's a legend. There's stories about this guy. There's there's legends that we get di- that we dissect in today's episode involving John as well. Uh, so this has been meant to happen for a long time. It has finally happened now. The or sorry, OCs will be going on tour all over the place starting this summer. Uh, also, check out Castleface Music, which is an incredible label that John runs, and they put out a lot of great stuff, a lot of OCs records and whatnot. They put out a split with Total Control last year, an unbelievable band as well. So a lot, a lot of good stuff. If you don't know the OCs or OCs or any number of our incarnations of that name or any of the other projects that John's been involved in, you got, you got a lot of homework to do because this guy's got a lot of great stuff out there. It's like, it's not really homework. It's like finding a bunch of unopened holiday gifts right there waiting for you. John Dwyer's career, but here's a great place to start. So sit back, relax, and enjoy John Dwyer on Turned Out a Punk. (laughs) John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, how you doing, man? Well, you are uh, uh, someone I've wanted to talk to the, for this thing for years. You know, a Toronto legend, um, not from Toronto, of oh, course, fuck, yeah. but uh, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. And funny, last time you were here, I was out of town, but you guys played the Danforth Music Hall, and you had a brief interaction with my niece on the street outside of the show. She really? said hello to you and talked to you for a little bit. And my Did brother was me? like, pardon me? Did she tell me that she was your niece? 
No, she didn't. But she, oh, wow. she, my brother was with her, or my her mm-hmm. dad, and he uh, wanted to talk to you and ask you to come on the show, and it was like a big regret for him that he didn't do it. And I was like, well, I got I got John's number. Why don't I just hit him up and see if we can make this happen? So, I, I, as far as I recall, we had actually discussed this like a few years ago, and then it just never came to fruit. And then you know the world collapsed for a minute; it fell to its knees. So you know, yes, yeah. Well, I gave him booking I lost power. in the scrum. Yeah, exactly. There were bigger things to do than talk about this yeah. stuff. But now it's settled down a little bit, and we can make this happen. And uh, thank you for doing it. Of course, a total pleasure. Well, I got to start this off though the way they all start off, which is John. How'd you get in a punk? Remember the first time you ever came across it? Yeah, um, I got really lucky, man. I like when I went to high school. I went to a parochial Catholic high school in uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, because my mom thought I was going to get a better education. We weren't really like church-going people, but she like I, I really wanted to go to public school. My friends went to public school, and basically we had we didn't have any money, but she like worked to put me through this school. Um, but I think I don't know if it was because I was a dick or what, but I just didn't really have a lot of friends there except for like the sort of mutants. Like I automatically uh, was drawn to this guy, Mikey, who was like a total metalhead. I think had like a Iron Maiden uh, record cover, like hand painted on the back of his leather jacket. And then uh, basically getting into like the scene of smoking weed before we go to school, started to meet all the real freaks and like, one of those guys, I can't I want to say his name was Ryan, but he was like just this dude that was like seven feet tall, looked like he was probably 30, but we were like sophomores in high school, you know? And he had like spiked rings and shit and was a punk. And uh, I had never really met anybody who was like so sort of legit, you know? I'd been like, I'd hung out with skaters and stuff to that point, but they were all kind of like, it was more like skate aesthetic than necessarily punk. But this guy, I remember, gave me Walk Among Us on cassette. And I took it home. And I also shortly thereafter went and bought uh, the like my first punk, real punk record was that record. And then uh, rap music. Oh, no, bad music for bad people. Uh, the Cramps, Cramps record. And yeah. both them and the Misfits on first listen, I was like kind of turned off by it. But they both had the same effect where I, I couldn't stop listening to it. And then I got I realized like while thinking in my head that I didn't like it I'd listened to it like 70 times and I was like I, f- I fucking love this like it like it was so new and different sounding than like what I'd been listening to like you know ACDC and more like metal stuff up until then but punk somehow was like that aggressive kind of music but um it was allowed to be weirder and mm. it took me a minute to like find my bearing in there but you know then I I went whole hog after that and like almost like burned out on it in my uh teens and 20s you know well i guess going back before that like what kind of music were you into you mentioned being in the skateboarding stuff like what kind of music were you listening to prior to finding these records a lot of a lot of metal but there was also this crazy metal scene in providence um i actually brought up a band to an old providence friend of mine the other night called phlegm which was one of the first bands i ever saw and he was like oh my god phlegm like he was like he's like what a blast from the past i completely forgot about it and i only vaguely remember what they sounded like but they had a lot of these like all ages shows at this place called club babyhead i would go see everything there from like i mean i saw like god flesh and like the mighty boss tones and uh uh, Drop Dead would play there all the time because yeah. they were from work. Uh, Rorschach played there, you know. So it was a lot of like all ages daytime hardcore shows in the summertime. It'd be like a hundred degrees in there. 
Um, God, I forgot where I was going with this. I did get stoned before the interview. Sorry, but uh, same. Like, like I was really fortunate. You know, Providence was like a, a pit stop for a lot of small bands, and the scene there. A lot of metal bands brought a lot of metal bands through, so I was just a lot of like heavy music pretty quickly. That was like the first thing that I heard that I was drawn to because I never gave a shit about music really much as like a very young kid. Mm. I was always more into like visual art. I was drawing all the time. But then when I heard like Iron Maiden and like early Metallica and Slayer, and then it started going deeper, hanging out with these like stoner metalhead guys. And they were like, have you ever heard Angel Rot? And there were all these bands like sort of like Peninsula, Panhandle, Florida, like death metal bands, you know? Uh, and they would all, they were all touring through at the time. It seemed like everybody was like able to, able to tour as like very new niche bands, you know? So I got really lucky in Providence in terms of that. Angel Rot was, that's like a, I think they were like dudes that were go on to White Zombie or someone that was involved. Oh, really? With, yeah, I think so. I've got, randomly, oh. I've got two seven inches that I got in Providence one time on tour. Uh, we played like a radio station. They were selling their seven inches off. And uh, I grabbed these two angel rods. Radio stations, they were always selling their records. Like half of my record collection as a kid had like a piece of like masking tape that said like FMU or some <laughs> shit, you know, like, or whatever, you know, uh, BRU, whatever it was called. Yeah. Little did they know. Little did they know how much they'd be uh, giving away to. But like, as they were great, going yep. into great hands, like both of our hands right there. Oh, yeah. I'm so, sure I've, I've sold all those for rent years ago, but I've rebought some of them since then. <laughs> it's funny, like I was literally rebuying like, like the Metamatics from this Discord stuff, like buying uh, uh, United Mutations, like buying that on vinyl now. And I was like, I, I think I need to hear that on record because it's just not the same anywhere else, you know? Dude, that band's like one of the best bands ever. It's I just recently, I just got recently turned on to uh, the Mentally Ill, yeah, which I never heard Casey's before. And my buddy was like, he's, yeah, exactly. He was like, uh, he's like, your guitar tone reminds me of this guy a little bit. And I was like, let me hear it. And I was like, holy shit. Like if my guitar tone was like 1 million times more aggressively, like, like the engineer was like, I don't give a fuck. This is going to be amazing. We're going to make it sound like it's inside your ear and it's broken and like totally offensively high in the mix, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's really good. You know? Yeah, they're, well, they're, they also, I think they went into this, like, art band afterward called Men that's that's also really interesting. Like, it's it's not as straightforward and not, like, it's a lot more arty, I guess. Is the, what is was the, that? It, I guess it's 82, 83. Men. Men. No, it, I think they've got, like, a tw I, I have at least one 12-inch from them. And it's... Huh, uh, I gotta look that up. It, it's, 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 like, it's interesting. Like, I find a lot of those bands, like, the stuff that they were doing early on, like, you know, what's that band... The frantics my dad's a fucking alcoholic and like the tone on that is crazy the guitar yeah, tone yeah. and mm -hmm. it's it's like a lot of these bands were just like doing these one-off singles but on on them just the innovation they were kind of like applying to this music is way more interesting than a lot of the big bands most of the big well, bands. they're just like young and hungry and uh maybe sometimes like out of necessity this is what they were playing because it was what they could play you know so mm -hmm. i i remember when we were kids we would write songs just jamming around which are probably far weirder than anything that I could write intentionally today. You know, like I remember we would just play one riff. I mean, this was like some drug stuff, but we would play like one riff over and over again for like three hours until like my buddy who was older, who had his own apartment, we'd go there and jam his female roommate would be like, shut up. That is not how you play music. Like we're doing it wrong. You know, she's like, that, that's wrong enough. You know? Uh, and, and at the time being like, yeah, she's actually right. This is, 
to anybody that's not doing it, like as this gratuitous, like self-important thing, she was probably like, you're driving me fucking crazy. So, yeah. that That's the thing about that Providence scene, though, is because it is, it is a lot more arty i've found like in going there there's a lot more people like kind of like i guess because the art school being there as well <laughs> yeah but there's a, like a lot more you know people playing with the form even drop dead like you know like for a band that's doing something as straightforward as they're doing they always take it to kind of like weirder places they were i saw them maybe like three years ago here at this place down in um uh, like this where 1720 warehouse in, in la and they were better than i've ever seen them which is crazy to say that because I've seen them over like 30 years, you know? Yeah. But the first time I saw them, they were one of the first shows I saw before I knew those guys, before I'd ever met them or met anybody at RISD or played any of those bands. I saw Drop Dead play at a warehouse in Providence and Bob, the singer, I was all the way at the back of the room because I didn't want to be anywhere near. I was really young, you know, and I was like, I'm not going to get in this like pit with skinheads and shit. Fuck that. So I was standing like way at the back and uh, I remember the crowd just split and Bob just came running directly at me because i was like the only person all engine just screamed like right in my face and i was gonna like shit my pants and then he just ran back and i was like Whew. like i was like terrified and then i met him years later and he's like oh hey how's it going he's like a total like sounds kind of like my stepdad you know I was like oh my god that super nice guy really smart but yeah well, scared, the, scared the shit out of me young you know but, but that's when you're hooked right like that's when you're like Anytime a band scares me, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we're, we're missing that a little bit these days. I feel like uh, I remember seeing like Masana or the King Brothers or uh, just any band where you're like, like a, you feel the headstock or like, like, like through your nose hairs. And you're like, whoo, that was close. You know, like I almost got my teeth knocked out there because I was like looking away, you know. Well, it's no. like uh, Jonah from uh, Fucked Up, like our drummer plays in this other band, Career Suicide. And then when they went to Japan, they were, uh, you know, like all the Japanese bands talked about this thing with them. And they were like, when you go out there, you know, the first night they went out there, they were tired and they just like, kind of like, you know, played a, not a great set. And the, the band, the band they were with, I guess it was forward, took them aside. And they're like, when you go on stage, it's meant to be a, like a total discharge. Like you leave mm -hmm. everything out there. And yeah. it's just like, when you get to see a band do that and like, that's what you guys do. Like, you're like one of the few bands I'm afraid, terrified to play after um because Japanese fans are like that though even the worst Japanese band on tour you're like pretty fucking good you oh, know yeah. everybody's yeah. got uh you're right that it's like very much in the culture of art there where it's like very uh visceral I don't really know I don't have a good word for it but like when you watch it it's like a happening it's not just a reiteration of songs that they've written it's like you know somebody set something on fire or you know dmbq is the perfect example where you're yeah. like oh he took every guy's shirt off in the crowd which was like 150 dudes and then put all the shirts on over each other and so he was like seven feet across and it's just all these like skinny japanese guys like nervously standing around without shirts on during the show and you're like what the fuck but then the best part was at the end of the show they kick everybody out all the lights go on the club is disgusting and shinji from dmbq is standing there one at a time with a huge crowd of boys with no shirts on being like whose shirt is this there you go whose shirt is this and the shirts all stretched out because you put it on over like 170 shirts <laughs> it's like all these guys working out walking out like with nightgowns with big smiles in their face just like japan man you know it's that they're an awful band to play after i had to play after them a bunch of times with fucking coach whips a band that was like nothing to play after this band that were like ruining the club every night and then finally i was like dude let us play before you this is fucking like I'd have to get up there and like hang myself to outdo you, you know? Yeah. So well, that's, I know and, that, 
and that's the thing right too where it's like disrespectful um a lot of times i've been told what by by japanese bands for them to play after you and you're like we're well, just gonna destroy us like there's no <laughs> way we're gonna beat your set or like <laughs> let us let us at least set them up for you to knock them down maybe yeah like maybe we could work together i remember uh i wanted our merch to be cheaper when i was over there with coach oops because everything seems so expensive to me because I don't know. I don't know why the fuck I was concerned about that, I guess. But I was like, this is too expensive. So he brought down the price and then everything just stopped selling. And then finally, the merch person, the Japanese lady that we were hanging out with was like, you can't make it cheap because then they'll think it's cheap. It has to be like the price that we set because that's what they're used to. And if you put it below that, they're going to think something's wrong with it. And I was like, really? They're not excited to get like a t-shirt and a record for the same price. And she was like, no, just take the money and shut up, stupid. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not, I, I lesson learned, you know, I'm not going to talk my way out of money, I guess. Well, it's, I went and made a documentary about uh, extreme wrestling in Japan a few years ago mm -hmm. and talking to the fans. Like these were like normal, like business people and like little kids mm -hmm. that would be going to see unbelievably violent deathmatch wrestling where people are getting stabbed in the head with yakitori skewers or saws oh. put through them like it's just over the top violence i've actually never never seen anything about japanese wrestling oh my I, gosh I how. it sounds like it's right up my alley please oh my, send me i'm sending you some links i'm going to send you some links yeah. after this but <laughs> i'm talking to these fans who are just like normal people and they're like this and even talking to the wrestlers they all bring it up and very much to to the same point that we're doing this to give people motivation to get through the next day of their life. And people are like, they're like saying, I'm do going to see these guys put their lives on their line, put everything mm -hmm. out there because it helps me get through the next week of work. And then I get to see them it's do it. Like any other, of course, it's like I go to shows constantly. If that is my wrestling or my sport, you know what I yeah. mean? I get it. People need their, uh, I, I uh, every time I think about all the jobs I had, like outside of being in a band and making music, every like not shitty jobs. I actually had I got really lucky. I had a lot of good jobs at decent places with good people. But I remember uh, being exhausted at work and just being like, "Fuck, I'm fucking wiped." And then the second I walked out the door, I was like wide awake, and I was like, "Oh, I just hate that." You know, like I was like, regardless of if it's a good job or not, like as my my physical being would just be like, "I'm not gonna put, burn any gas for this." And then, but I, then I'd walk outside and be like, we should go to the bar and like get all excited and like be wide awake and be like, oh, I was just like in like standby mode all day at work, you know? So I was like, I understand how people need that uh, outlet when they get out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's, well, I think that's the thing about punk too, right? Like that's like the, why it, uh, a lot of times there's like a working class element to, you know, oi or something like that is this mm -hmm. idea of like going there, getting everything out on friday night and saturday night and then getting through the next week of work you know like it definitely is this sort of you know it does f serve a societal function well everybody can relate to the grind and yes. the common enemy is the work. boss you know any sort of authority obviously to uh, yeah especially uh that for sure uh, where did you kind of go from getting these misfits records? Like what was some of the, like the first, you know, you mentioned going to some metal shows and stuff like that. What was like some of the first like local shows you were going to? Um, well, I mean the, the, the way I really got into like sort of more broad spectrum commercial punk, not commercial, but in, in terms of like the misfits or the cramps or bad brains or whatever, you know, like, mm -hmm. and you know, like the, the kit of like my first punk bands that are going to get you to branch out and go all deep 
was there was just a cassette tape store that was really small in a strip mall and we used to go skate or my friends would skate and I would attempt and suck at it at this loading dock behind this joint that was like behind a supermarket like a comp not a supermarket but like their main headquarters so it would close and we'd go there at five and then this record store would be open at like you know early evening and we would go there and there's just this weird old dude who'd be like you like that you like this and then he would just like recommend shit to me so I'd buy that and then in Pawtucket there was a place called Luke's Record Exchange that sold like boot like back patches and fucking like I, I swear to god I have like Celtic Frost and Voivod uh, bootleg cassettes recorded from the crowd. Like they had a huge bootleg section. So, so cool. To this day, I love a live bootleg recording. Huge fan of that. Like, I, I don't know how that's not bigger. It's like such a cool underground community. But that being said, that was the same thing where like I was learning about like immolation or uh, suffoc suffocation, any of the Asians of the death metal scene, you know, but like, that and then a lot of times it'd be like going to see a band and like seeing a local opening act too you know like uh i went to see flotsam and jetsam and this band called anna crucis opened i can't believe i still remember their name but they were great live i think i have their lp yeah anna crucis yeah they were they were really good live the guy had floppy hair like i did and i was like you can't look like that and do metal and then i was like oh i guess you can i saw a dri play in providence you know so it was just like i was i was really fortunate to have a friend who was probably 28 or 29 when I was like 17 or 18 who would like take us out to shows. He was like an older guy who, I don't know, just didn't have any friends his own age, which sounds way creepier than it really was. But, uh, well, that's but he was like, he's the guy that turned me on to can, you know, he, he turned me on to crowd rock. He turned me on to early scorpions. I mean, that dude was pretty weirdly diverse in his musical taste. That being said though, um, I have a, a really visceral memory of going to see uh, Slayer at a really small club in Providence that was too small. And we got in and everybody stormed the door because they stopped letting people in. And nobody, had, I don't even think anybody had played yet. It was just like the DJ spinning metal or whatever. And there was this huge dude who worked at the door doing security there that I remember seeing all the time. He was like 6'4 and like 240 pounds, like just a big motherfucker that worked the door at this point. And when the people stormed the, the uh, door, I saw him laying on the ground with a broken leg. And I, like he had just gotten trampled basically. And I was like, <gasps> and then my friend was like, we need to go. And like grabbing, like dragged me out. And I was like, we didn't even get to see Slayer. Like I'm pretty sure they didn't play. But to this day, I'm like, did that really happen? Or was that a dream? Or was it not even Slayer? It might've been a local band. I don't know. Like that's how my brain is. But yeah, there was just, Providence was like rife with like opportunity to see shows as a kid. Lots of all ages shit. Because I think, because it's so small there, I think that they had to make it all ages to, uh, pay these bands you know like mm. but I, we would drink and shit too i remember it wasn't like uh too it wasn't like uh like the northwest where they're like we're gonna put a like a cow pasture down the middle for and everybody on this side drinks and the people up front you know like the northwest has some really uh puritanical weird ideas about how to like keep kids from drinking up there you know well they had the footloose law in seattle right like you couldn't dance at a show are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, what like Seattle. You guys yeah. love dancing. What's wrong with you? I know. Like a bunch of people have come on the show and talked about how like that killed off like a lot of the scene is because that you couldn't be a kid and go to a show in the city limits and dance. Do you remember that? Uh, this was like in like the maybe early two thousands. There was a law in Seattle that I think has since changed because nobody's given me any grief for this, where you couldn't drink on stage because you were technically an employee of the club during your set 
it's completely berserk. So they would give you this rider, but you'd have to drink it all backstage and you couldn't. So you'd be up on stage. We'd be playing for like two hours. And I, what I, my MO was always to take as many beers as I could and just hide them everywhere on stage. So I'd like put them in the back of the amp, like in the folds of the curtain. And at the crocodile, this lady, I remember one time was like, I looked over while we we're playing and she was crawling on the floor and she looked me right in the eye. Like I turned around, and I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, sorry. And was like taking all my beers. And I was like, what the fuck? And she's like, you can't have, but like, but like also being like, I don't fucking want to do this, man. But on all fours, like behind the amps, I was like, unbelievable. You know? so. well, yeah. Like you're, and I think Portland's got that one, like you're saying, where you're like, they've, there's some venues you play where the kids have to come up front and then all the adults yeah. have to stand in the ring at the back. Yeah, drinking. yeah. It's like the VIP section at Coachella or something where you're like, I can hear <laughs> the band, but I can't see them. Fucking yeah. ridiculous. Well, it's funny. You also come on, Portland, fix your shit. You guys are so drugged up up there. I can't believe you're being weird about alcohol. Yeah. Well, you know, you're like everybody on heroin on this side of the room and then cocaine over here. Well, wild, Weed wild. in the middle, right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, just right up front, smiling. Yeah, <laughs> rock it out. Keys. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna. Um, uh, sorry, I got now distracted on top of the weed. My fault. But I apologize. No, no, no. But I was gonna. I wanted to ask you actually about uh, what was your first band that you did. Um, my first, I did a couple things really early on that never got recorded when I was really young. Uh, one with this guy. Damien Cote and a kid named Dennis, who I don't remember his last name. He was a drummer. I remember he had things like little splash symbols and shit. Yeah. And we would play in my basement and we lined the basement of this apartment I lived in with uh, carpeting that we had pulled out of a dumpster behind a carpet, this place carpet warehouse or some shit out in like Swansea, Massachusetts. And that's the kind of shit I was talking about where we would just ride a riff into the ground. And I, I, some, I mean, I definitely recorded it, I think, on four track. But I have no idea if those exist anywhere. I mean, I must have lost them. Because I actually have boxes of early four-track tapes in mind that I'm intending on uh, digitizing before too long, just out of morbid curiosity. But that wasn't in there as far as I know. And then uh, another band kind of like that. And then the first, like, real proper band I had was with Jeff Rosenberg from Pink and Brown. We did oh, a yeah. thing called Krang that Brian Gibson from Lightning Bolt, the bass player, played drums on. This other guy, Josh, played drums for a while. And uh, Kira uh, Kira from V for Vendetta played bass in it. She was in Providence like a million years ago, and we played in a band together for a short while. But we only did a handful of shows, and I was still uh, like – I had like morbid stage fright, you know, like I would like stand behind a stack of speakers and play and then landed somehow landed asked me to be in their band after that band, which is absurd because it couldn't be more different. And landed was the band, uh, which takes us into vermiform. Like I know you want to talk about, Oh yeah, definitely. that was the band that opened me up and made me realize, uh, made me the man I am today. Kind of weirdly, you know, it's, it's, it's a sick band too like landed's like, really fun while it lasted you know for me i was only in it for like a year they're they still play mm. you know they still play shows that's why well because i i was going through the lineup and it's like dudes from life's blood like lots of six finger satellite connections yeah. and tent like all sorts of like horse fields yeah uh, everybody's been through that band for sure yeah like it, it really is I guess it's like Providence in general. Like you're saying, a lot of people just pass through there for a short period of time. And yeah, I mean, to me, bands. 
when I left, it became like, I just had nobody left to play with, you know, like at one point I think I jammed with Brian Chippendale and I was like, I can't do this. Cause it's just making me play exactly like Brian Gibson. Like, you know, Chippendale's like this God of drumming and like this very, very, his voice is very evident. So like, I can't hear him with anybody else. You know what I mean? Like I can only hear him either by himself or like playing maybe Matt Brinkman and Gibson. That's it. You know? So when I played with him, I was like, am I just totally ripping off the thing you already do? I was like, this is just embarrassing. So I left, you know, like I could have waited around for a new crop of students, but, uh, cause I was a townie, you know, I didn't go to college and I met all these kids and most of them were super cool. But I do remember like people realizing that I wasn't a student and being like, wait, you grew up here? Like, they're like, that happens? And I'm like, yep, yep, I, uh, right down the street. You know? it, it, it's interesting how that changes a scene, you know, like the, like scenes that, and even Boston's like this, I find, because there's so many universities there, but like, <laughs> there are like, you know, obviously consistent fixtures of the scene, consistent people within the scene, but then there's also just this sort of transitory population that migrates in and out in Toronto, I guess it happens because, you know, universities here, but it's not as seemingly noticeable as people bring up the, when they live in a big place. city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of different, I guess, but like people that grew up in places which you have a large student population talk about how it's frustrating trying to get stuff going. Cause you know, <laughs> kids disappear all of a sudden and then new kids show up yeah. and they're different. It vibes. Was also uh like i got just fucking my, my whole life has been full of these like fortunate like falling ass backwards into scenes because uh when i was a kid that crop of students like the fort thunder crew and like the black dice kids and landed which was sort of like a hybrid between townies and uh and like six from satellite arab on radar like uh, drop dead all these bands were happening and then after uh, all those guys graduated from RISD and like were making their own bands, having some level of success, making art or whatever, I remember like the next group of kids that came in didn't seem to give a fuck about music. Like I didn't hear once Fort Thunder went under and those guys were like doing their own thing and not like making the scene happen so much in, in Rhode Island. The bands that I was hearing about were fewer and farther between. It's not to say that there weren't any, but it was just like, there was like a real like renaissance for a minute there. And the same thing happened in San Francisco when I moved there and not because of me, but just, there was just like such a strong metal and punk scene there, like mm -hmm. deep throats and space boy, uh, pig iron. I saw all these cool bands right when I moved there. Cause I was just lonely. So I just go to shows alone. I could, I was finally drinking age. So I was like, well, I can go to a fucking bar and meet people. Who are those uh, bands? I don't like that's like a whole scene that I'm completely unaware of. Like what, what Space Boy was great. That was the singer from Blast that was on what? SST. Yeah. Yeah. It's his metal band that's like a sort of weird Voivod worship band. They kind of have that like like augmented metal chord vibe. It's Space Boy's first record called uh like warm on the planet of pot or some shit warm something like some really long stoner <laughs> title but the it's got like a little like a green-faced child on a purple planet they were like sci-fi metal uh it's so they were so good live too i remember i approached them because um i was pretty ambitious when i was a kid but i still kind of do this where i'll just like walk up and talk to a band and it's like this sort of being like we should play a show together but our bands couldn't be more different but back then it was definitely like a more compartmentalized scene. So I went up to this dude who had like straight white, long blonde hair and he was wearing like, like checkerboard vans. And he was like from Santa Cruz. Like the dude was like, what's up little dude? Like his five, you know? Yeah. And he played guitar in that band. And I was like, dude, you guys are 
fucking amazing. And he's like, oh, thanks so much, man. Like, I swear he was like loading an amp into like a VW bus or something. And then I was like, we should play a show together. And he's like, what's your band called? And I was like, Pink and Brown. And he was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> that was all he said. And then he just walked right. And I was like, but you didn't even hear the band. And I was like, and yes, it is disgusting. But he was like, fucking gross, man. Anyway, it was nice meeting you, you know. <laughs> But that band's great, man. I still listen to that fucking record, you know? Did it come yeah, out really on vinyl fun. or CD or what What was it out on? That came out on, that first record came out on vinyl and CD. And then as they went on later, uh, they were more CD. And I remember the drummer was really awesome. And uh, I feel like he fell on some hard times or something because I saw him selling his drum kit. Like San Francisco was like also, tons of people started to not be able to afford rent. And this was early on though, but also just like a lot of drugs, you know, mm -hmm. like heroin got really big. Uh, I remember like the one of the first couple of years I was living there, I fortunately never got into dope, but like my neighbors were all junkies and there was that flesh eating bacteria, which I'm sure you've heard about in Canada too, probably Vancouver and shit getting yeah. hit with the same kind of thing. But uh, people were shoot up anyway. You just be like, I got it. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. You're like, damn dude, really? Like people's arms were coming off and shit. It was wild. That's heavy. So, that's like, well, I guess that's the, you know, like much like Vancouver, you know, it's like these two scenes that have kind of had this historical plague of of drugs in in scenes, you know, and just like yeah. eating away at scenes at different times, like but lots of great music. Yeah, yeah, that's. I really do feel that the darkness uh, sometimes begat some some great jams. Oh yeah, well, like every <laughs> the the one thing that kind of comes up time and time again doing this thing is like how all of us that are drawn to it have some level of damage and that's why we're drawn to it. Like, you know, if we, if we could fit in with normal, whatever normal society is, or like whatever mainstream normal society is, I'm sure we would all be doing it, but like whatever it was that brought us to this is, is, you know, what made it, I don't know. And that's like, I kind of wanted to bring this up earlier when you're talking about that older person, you know, going to shows and how it's not weird. Like, obviously there's people that take advantage of this and predators and all that stuff. So that, all, to be fair, I'm still friends with this guy. Yeah. We talked today. Yeah, like I still say thank you to him for all the shit he showed me, and he'll be like, "All right, already. It's been thirty years." He's like, "I get it. You're welcome. Shut the fuck up." You but know? that's that. But that's like this is the one place where you can do that. Like it's like I had, I got started going to shows. I had a friend who was in his sixties, and he had seen yeah. the Kinks, and he would like saw the Stooges, and he had awesome. the best stories. And yeah. you know, like I stayed friends with him my whole life, and he supported my band when we started, and all this kind of stuff. Like it's amazing yeah. how there is a, sort of this Peter Pan thing because we're all coming here from a place where we need it and so we all find each other and you can kind of make yeah like you're saying friends for life people that change your yeah. life are, are right there i when i was a kid i hung out with a lot of older people and now that i'm older i can't stand young people so <laughs> i don't know how i don't know no, how they do that yeah, i'm totally kidding i have a lot of a lot of young friends but it's just like you know uh, I was definitely like, I still, all the people that I hung out with that were like probably 10 to 20 years older than me, I still talk to all the time when I go back to Providence. It's like such a pleasure to see these dudes because I only hung out, they were, they were older, but they were fucking weirdos, you know, like it was always like the guy who like lived in a trailer who was like, had a, like there's these this dude, Jeff Thomas, who passed away years ago, sadly, but I remember seeing him and being also almost all these people early on being petrified of them when I first saw them and then later becoming friends with them. But he had like a, like a nine penny nail that was like galvanized. So it was all like rough looking, bent in half through his ear. And I was like, this motherfucker, like, who is this guy? Are you kidding me? Like just seeing him for the first time and being like, holy fucking caveman, you know, <laughs> a lot of like 
dudes with like Liberty spikes that were on like construction crews. That was like real Providence where you'd be like that guy working on that roof and having like super punk hair wearing like cheetah pants and shit. You got pretty cool. Pretty you cool. Buy those cheetah pants somehow. Right. Like, you gotta pay yeah, for you gotta, how are you going to pay for ass flaps or whatever <laughs> kind of patchery you're into, you know? that's a that's a great name for an album how are you gonna pay for ass flaps right there? How are you pay for ass? that sounds like an eddie harris record yeah. um so you mentioned like going out to san francisco uh, like at that point like uh, you know you're doing pink and brown like where do you fit in scene wise is there like a scene that's more kind of doing what you're doing no not really there was a lot of weird scenes i mean there was like rubber cement carolina uh deer yeah. hoof you know a lot of there were a lot of a lot of weird art bands there are bands i can't remember even the fucking name of now that were so awesome to see like uh shit like you know the residents were still going and playing shows um i actually lived with the girl i think her name was molly who sang for the residents for a long time. And I remember I was like, we were like, she, I was in a, in a terrible house with somebody that I didn't like living with, but she was another roommate there and she was awesome. And we were talking about music and she's like, you know, I make music too. And I was like, Oh really? And I'd only lived there for like a month, you know? So we hadn't had much time to talk, but she was like, yeah, I'm in a band called the residents. And I was like, get the what? fuck out. I was like, you're in the fucking residents. And then immediately she was like, you can't tell anybody that i'm in the residence and i was like but now i think people know but it was like i was like wow really it's like you're really incognito and she's like yeah like you seriously don't please don't tell anybody because i wear like a big costume but when i it moved was there real, right like that was that that thing was like they never dropped oh, yeah the yeah and she was like the most mellowest unassuming uh like i never would have guessed by talking to her that she was in the fucking residence because you don't know what those people are you know like and their art is so abstract and so daunting they have so much you know and they were so innovative and weird getting sued and shit by the fucking beatles or whatever you know it's like you're like fucking awesome band oh yeah well that story in 74 where they got santa dog and they're they're dropping it through people's mailboxes you know mm -hmm. and that's like it's like that's that's punk like that's beyond mm -hmm. any sonic punk like what they're San doing Francisco was rife with these people doing these sort of like exploratory like life as art is the band shit you know i mean nowadays we have like the yes men and stuff where it's still like or the sisters of perpetual indulgence you know uh, the gay scene there has always had tons of abstract live performance stuff but uh to go back to pink and brown nobody gave a shit like i was i really didn't want to play with jeff just because i was being a dick and he was the only person i knew there and i wasn't crazy about his drumming uh but again just because i was being a dick he's actually a great drummer and then finally i remember him literally being like so you're just not gonna play music if you can't find another drummer he's like come on man and i was like fine and then it ended up being pretty good to me and we started recording pretty quickly and then we played shows for like a year for nobody full costume full like uh you know crowd involved taking that shit from providence playing on the floor touching people's faces whatever doing a performative thing and nobody cared and then finally i think toyo records hit us up and load to do some records and then we got back together and suddenly we had like two three hundred people at shows and it was like the first time i ever played even with landed i think the shows always were kind of pretty punk level mm. from when i was in the band like we go to Cleveland and people be like, I heard that the guy in the band will punch you in the face. That's why people were there. You know, it was more like a, <laughs> like not Gigi Allen, but you know what I mean? Like I heard the like black dice earlier or something. They'd be like, it hurts really violent. And you're like, man, I know those guys. They were super nice, you know, <laughs> but like, but that was like, we, when we traveled people, like, I guess it was, 
the internet was like in its like fetal stages at that point. So like word was getting around, but like when I was in pink and Brown, we were still mailing fucking cassettes to the bar and then calling the bar, like literally the phone that the bartender was picking up. And they'd be like, what dude? And I'd be like, is the booker there? And they'd be like, the booker's never here. Why don't call this number anymore. I'm like serving drinks, you know, I'd like give us a show, give us a show and getting shows that way by like, just calling. I'm like, I'm going to call back tomorrow. I was like, don't call back tomorrow. And I'd call back and eventually they'd be like, just come play here and just stop calling here or fuck off. Don't like, you'll never play here. Well, you, you, know? you, you need to be a Punisher to make it in this, especially in oh, yeah. DIY music. You have to be a Punisher or else. Yeah, I still abide by that rule. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> the only way. More stage manager that has to deal with me. <laughs> I'm like, why is this hummus, this hummus room temp? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, It's funny. You mentioned load records. And I guess that's like the other kind of like label that's doing cool, like kind of outsider stuff around that time mm-hmm. too, you know? And it's, it's, but, I mean, load was like uh for kids in providence that were in my scene load was like ben ben mccosker who runs load was like a a lantern in the darkness of like shit from around the world like he would just pull some wild shit out of his ass like i remember like gertie farish do you remember that band and i was just like no, like just like spat gertie farish like load i mean go on wikipedia and look through the load catalog and uh, that's what i did with like brain records and like sky records i'll just like go on there and like like youtube every single band and be like i like this i'll try and find this record for cheap yeah and if you're there with load you'll be like what the fuck is all this music you oh, know brain and bombs was, and stuff like so much good yeah, stuff on that label bringing uh like harry pussy to town frosty a bit you ever hear frosty no i know harry frosty. pussy but no frosty harry pussy were just uh, all time hands down one of my favorite bands ever did you see them live record. Yeah, yeah, I saw them live oh, probably fuck. four times. Oh, I, I was awesome. really fortunate. I got into them really early somehow. I got lucky where somebody's like, check this out. And I was like, this is the wildest shit I've ever heard. Sounds like it was recorded on an avocado. Sounds like shit. <laughs> and I was really, really obsessed with like noisy recordings then. Like everything, if it if it sounded clean at all, it was pussy. Like I was like, I just wanted the rawest, nastiest shit. <laughs> now I'm, I, I've, you know, still a little bit. I want a little bit of fur, but now I can like, now I, I like a little fidelity. But um, Frosty was this band that were contemporaries with uh, with uh, Harry Pussy from Miami, same time, who had a guy that had a really crazy voice that sang kind of like the dude from uh, fucking uh, Lubricated Goat, like that kind yeah. of voice, that yeah. like, sort of like, like Captain Beefheart, but a punk band and they have a CD. You can find it on Discogs. I couldn't find the digital files anywhere. No blog, not Pirate Bay, not on iTunes. Their shit's just not out there except from this one CD and a seven inch with Harry Pussy. And I bought the seven inch and like made MP3s out of it in iTunes so I could listen to it. And it's just, they played the Fourth Thunder and they're fucking amazing, dude. Like, but it was, that was another thing too. Florida, that scene, man, was like wildly inventive. You got like fucking Rat Bastard, Tom Smith. You know, yeah. uh, Weasel Walter, Nondor, Navai, like people coming out of that scene making like really wild, weird shit, man. And that goes back to like, have you heard the Sewer Zombies two records that came out of there? Oh my God, what a fucking great band name. That's a band? Yeah, dude. And it's like, it's so weird what they're doing I'm on it. that shit down right now. Sewer Zombies, like Chud. It's so well, that, good. I love it. Well, that's the thing about Florida. I find like it's, you know, like it's people... You know, I, people have t- since told me, no, it was a destination. Bands came through. But I always kind of look at it as being cut off a little bit. So the bands develop uniquely there. Like, there's sort of this, like... Oh, absolutely. Outs- yeah, it's like an outsider take on stuff almost, too. Like, it, well, Harry Pussy's a perfect example. But, like, 
Was, Harry Presley was like a, a, a like a diamond in the rough of all music, though. Like, yeah, nobody could ever do that again. You know, yeah. well, and Bill Orcott, you, like you try and talk to him about it, he'll be like, oh god, go away, white boy. You know, I'm just all like, I'm like, were you and Harry Pussy? And he's like, I don't want to have this fucking conversation <laughs> about me and my ex-wife's band. Jesus Christ, you know. Well, that's the. But they, like, have you heard the dan- there's this band Damage that has no guitars? It's all pianos from Florida, all keyboards yeah. instead of guitars. Are they contemporary? Yeah. No, this is like back in like '83, you know. And there's you're morbid, Florida. yeah, Florida morbid opera. Like, there's just all these weirder. Dude, you're of- gonna send me an email with like a list of all these bands in it, please, because I would love to get. Uh, I want to get a like a deeper dig into the Wang of America that is florida's underground music scene i don't think anybody does it weirder frankly i I feel the same way like you're throwing out names that i haven't heard so i feel like we need to um you're gonna love you're gonna love frosty frosty you can find on discogs and they definitely did a seven inch with harry pussy and they're like chef's kiss good weird rock well i think that might be the one harry pussy record i don't have because i got like most of the other singles so that's Uh definitely now it's got like like a a, it's like blue with like a pink gun on the cover the artwork is horrific like 90s like Oh well, yeah, like it's a, like a penis gun type thing, right? Like maybe penis. there's probably a cock on all their records yes. at uh, in some <laughs> format, like a secret penis. You know? Did you ever get to? Did you ever get to see them? No, no. Like they, I, they were a band I didn't get into till later. You know, like I think I have a really good. Uh, I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere, but somebody sent to me years ago. Might have been uh, Brian Turner. Uh, them on live on FMU, and what makes that recording so great is it's crystal clear. So yeah. it's the first Harry Pussy record I've ever heard where it's like you can hear what Bill Orcutt's doing, you can hear what she's doing, and because of that, you can actually hear the the genius writing behind what seems like a fucking like a trash truck going down the stairs. But you hear the song, it's it's the double guitar player uh version too, which is great. But they're also arguing the whole time. And they're husband and wife, so he's like like he's like grumbling something and she's like what like you can tell like it's just like they're just driving each other fucking crazy yeah. in between takes they're arguing you know so was, that's what they were like live too though man like i saw it, she had the flu one time and was vomiting into a bucket in between songs but it had one of those like madonna microphones so you could hear it she'd be like <laughs> and like the whole crowd was like what the fuck man like it was like her vomiting was like coming through the pa you know she was really wild man adris she was a fucking sight to behold on stage. So impressive. So there's terrifying. Something, there's something about those shows too, where it's like, like there's something so much more beautiful about seeing someone vomit on stage or something go completely awry on stage and have that just be part of the experience of the whole event. Have you ever puked on stage? Uh, in Pig and Brown, I vomited in my mask one time and there was a microphone right there and I just filled the microphone up with puke. And I remember being like, well, and I was like, this is happening. And I had to go, and suck the puke out of it and then like lift my mask off and spit it out so I could keep singing. Oh. Dude, have you ever heard KK Manga? No, KK okay. Manga. They're on, I actually looked them up again recently. They're a band we played with in Japan, an amazing hardcore band with two drummers, uh, like grindy, fucked up art hardcore, like Void meets like, uh, they're fucking great. But the singer, I took a photograph and I'll try and find it and send it to you. I think it's up on my Flickr page. I happen to have a flash camera and I took a picture of him vomiting this like six foot arc of puke right at the end of the show that made a huge puddle on the floor and everybody left the rooms, this tiny little room in Tokyo or maybe in Osaka. But 
after the show, I remember being like, I've never seen somebody vomit like that after a show, you know? And there was a guy outside and he heard me saying it and he's like, ah, he does it at every show. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, right before he goes to the stage, he just drinks an entire gallon of water. So he just like jumps around, jumps around, jumps around. And he's like, rah! But it was like, like a horrifying amount of puke where I remember being like, holy shit, is he okay? And they're like, nah, he does it all the time. And I was like, Japan? Oh, you it's know? the best place. But it's just KK, the letters, Mango, like the comic. Oh. Uh, they're up on Bandcamp. It's fucking wild shit. And they're if you could see live videos of them, it's going to be right up your alley. Like they're the band that you should definitely tour Japan with. They're fucking great live and they're really nice guys. We never got over in Japan and it like, it breaks my heart. Like Chris yeah we i've been there uh fucked up played three times we got to play fuji rock one time um maybe and, you need have you done a club tour well no because we can't get ever invited we did one we did one you tour. Gotta really you gotta push for it for sure yeah. it's surprising yeah. though because i feel like people would dig you but those big festivals are tricky because i feel like you have to be immediately recognizable to get paid attention to there you know yeah like i think and it's it's also my dream tour for there because we were on matador we kind of got brought over through like the indie rock world uh-huh. whereas i would be a weird mix <laughs> yes. yeah like we played we played with war on drugs one time we, like every show we played there was just kind of like yeah it's a bit of a mismatch for us you know like and it's, but all the bands i want to play with would be like you know gaze or like forward or like you know all these incredible incredible bands like you know it's just like unending I, and then i made a when i made that documentary i lived there for a month and it was the best month of my life other than my kids being born you know i mean after <laughs> we'll edit that part out yeah yeah exactly well, i mean japan is a wild place man it's really uh i'm excited to go back we're slow to get our asses in gear there because we play really small shows there like the biggest joint we play is that ufo club or whatever you know we play like like we played one joint in this little town that was like seriously 60 cap room and there was one white guy there because you know there's always one white guy who's like teaching english but he he was really funny because he came in and he was like what the fuck are you guys doing in this town he was like he's like i every day i wake up and he's like what am i doing here it's like that'd be like he's like this would be like if you played like podunk like pennsylvania like super deep west pennsylvania for like 20 kids at their dad's house he's like what the fuck is your band doing here because he had seen us in san francisco and he's like He's like, I thought for sure, like when I was coming through, he's like, it's not going to be them. It's not, I'm like misreading the poster or something. And it was a fun show. We played with a really weird husband and wife duo, very typical of Japan, that even in this tiny town, the opening band were an older husband and wife who had like tape machines and like children's instruments, but made something truly fucking wild. Like they're just playing tabletop stuff, but it was really cool. You know, that's Japan is like, uh, and you, they're like, definitively the country where you're like we have to see the opening band every night because yeah. it's always gonna be something like you're like did you see that guy catch on fire you're like no i was getting food you're like oh fuck it's so cool man who did the coach whips tour with there you said we toured with uh dmbq dmbq and then, yeah and then and ocs went over there with vampilia who you okay. might know yeah I, like, uh, like a tech metal fucking like with opera singers and violins and shit and the dude wears like a, f- a mask that's just his forehead duplicated a bunch of times so he looks like an old japanese ghost uh, those guys were so so fucking cool and there's like a bunch of like sort of like cross-dressing in the band it's just they're have you ever seen them no i got they're not them out. necessarily my cup of tea and i'm sure we're not theirs but they're they're double drummers as well so it was like this sort of perfect storm they put on such a fucking wild show i think it'd be up your alley he would like the singer 
we I I, I nicknamed him. Uh, his name was. Uh, I think I think he liked being called Mongoloid, but I was like, I'm not calling you that. And I was like, we're gonna call you Sleeping Giant, which he told me how to say in Japanese, but I can't for the life of me remember how to do it. But he's like a giant, you know, and he's the mellowest dude. But he uh, he did this one thing where that was really cool because it's like a super punk thing, but like Japanese learned uh, musicians in the band. So there's like a, a shredder violin player, you know, that sings like soprano opera at the top of her fucking lungs. It's really weird, but yeah. he would bring ladder. Every day at the club, it was like a little fold-out ladder that it would extend to like 20 feet, you know? So it was like seven feet. But then when you open it all the way, it would get smaller and smaller and smaller. And he's like, this dude, that's like your size. And he would go on the crowd while singing and open the ladder up all the way. But it wasn't an A-frame ladder. It was just a one-way fucking ride straight up in the air. And he would put it up in the air so it would be up like near the lights, like teetering, and then make the crowd hold it. So, you know, it's like all these like little Japanese dudes like holding this fucking ladder like teenage kids and then he would climb all the way to the top and sing from the top of this ladder and they, the crowd would be like running like back and forth trying to keep him from falling over and you'd be watching and you'd be like he never fell the crowd kept him up every night the, the buoyancy the urgency of the moment they're they're really good live but i remember being like you're fucking crazy dude like yeah. he would get like all up there and be like yeah like total death vocals you know they're they're pretty fun live man the, there's this uh the scene that i'm obsessed with there is the burning spirits uh hardcore scene so it's mm. like I, apparently it's named after a quote that the wrestler uh bruiser brody said about the wrestler antonio noki where he had a burning spirit in his eye and okay. all these bands sound like not in the way that they all sound the same but it's almost like motorhead doing discharge covers or something oh, really that sounds Dude, great it is awesome that scene called too it's burning spirits is that a band no it's just like that's what they name like all like you know they'll have like gigs and all the gigs will have like a name like so Uh there's burning spirit shows that feature and there's like wow there's like a bunch of i'll send you a list of uh, a bunch of these bands but there's like off off camera uh nerd fest of exchange you know <laughs> we should do a Everybody record party sure they google all these fucking bands check this shit out well that's the thing i love doing about like that's what i love going meeting someone like you and getting to talk about this stuff is because it's it's such an incredible world of music out there that you can't take it all in and no. so you need people that have different expertise to kind of be like yo check this check this mm-hmm. i love being at 47 and like not not jaded about music for some reason this is like one of the things that i'm still excited to watch uh, a young band like i just this past couple of weeks i've seen a bunch of great bands that i one i went to go get a drink at a bar and they were just playing and i was like holy fuck, this band is amazing after unsuccessfully trying to see a good band on purpose for like two weeks before that and just being sort of like yeah it was okay but this like <laughs> this band that i saw here called love fiend and i was like holy fucking shit they sound like like the cars meets like uh like but legit 80s fucking pop cars meets like gary newman and magazine like really good like pop 80s punk it was oh, fucking wow. awesome and yeah and nobody's doing shit like that so i walked me and my drummer walked in and he was like holy crap these guys are great and then it was like every song is this hooky hit i was like fuck my new favorite band man <laughs> but like uh yeah i don't even remember what i was saying just that uh no, just like uh, that music. You like there's a way to not be jaded about. I'll go. It I'll go to a show every night. Still, you know, yeah. that's the that's when I know that I'll, I've truly gotten old. Is when I like I'm finally like. Uh, I, I mean, I love being home too and working on stuff here by myself, but to 
like when it finally like the the scales shift to like no nah, i'm just gonna sit on the couch all the time you know or whatever like i don't, I don't really see that in the cards for me i feel like i might just die at a show hopefully not soon but you know what i mean yeah like they'll be like they're like somebody's been locked in the bathroom for a long time you're like oh fuck don't be dwyer don't be dwyer come on well there's this idea of like you know uh you know dying in the ring in wrestling like it's tragic but it's also like you like some wrestlers Everybody remember talk, you when people talk about we want to go out in a way that they remember you and that doing something you love and it's like dying on stage i think would be very traumatic for everyone that <laughs> didn't die right there well yeah look at the history of anybody that's died on stage it's always said with like this remorse you know yeah like, oh, yeah this is where like dime bag got shot and everybody's like fuck and fuck yeah you know yeah well that's the we thing is that club we actually played you might maybe have played there no Remember, we're, we're... Was, i can't remember the fuck it was but it was like this it was actually a cool fucking weird spot and uh somebody was like this is where dimebag daryl got shot and i was like what and uh, the sound guy was an older guy and he was like fuck here we go he's like yeah it happened here man it was a super bummer you know we liked that guy a lot too he played here a lot and i remember t like having like a pretty earnest conversation with this sound guy about how this was like a horrible claim to fame of this club you know yeah yeah well it's like something that you know it's like one of the most tragic kind of incidences that has happened on stage you know it's like one of those yeah. things like that the great white i fucking shredded too everybody loved that dude you know this is just like some uh unchecked mental health shit that happened there sorry yeah. i didn't mean to, i didn't mean to bring the podcast down to a morose <laughs> no but that's well that's the thing like and i think we kind of hinted at it earlier with the the drugs talk is that this music and when i say this music i don't mean just punk i mean like extreme music in general like it attracts people that have you know a damage and like sometimes that damage is very severe and people turn to self-medication in ways that are harmful to themselves in the long term or or sometimes lash out in at mm -hmm. ways you know and can't can't deal with what's going on around them it's one we're, of the we're, sad things things are better these days in terms of uh uh a supportive community too because the punk scene as well as the metal scene, there's always been like, I mean, you can just dumb it down to something as simple as like somebody falling down in the pit where like nobody wants that person to get their fucking face stepped on, you know? But now yeah. like people are a lot more conscious of uh, each other's comfort and safety, I think these days, uh, almost to a detriment at times. <laughs> you still need a little bit of excitement, but I think like for shit like that, like I'm, you know, I still get calls where friends are like, I'm worried about so-and-so, yeah. you know? Because, you know, how the past two years have been and uh, things like fentanyl and stuff start yeah. like just like appearing outside of the uh, usual corral of where we'd be like fentanyl and cocaine, things like that is uh, it's been a, a rough fucking two years in the music scene, man. That's for sure. Definitely. You know? I think that's the thing that, um, you know, has changed is like and it was changing before this point, but like the idea of like of 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 face drugs and injectable drugs like these things are no longer safe in a way unless you know exactly who you know know your dealer has become a matter of life and death not just getting good drugs i somehow managed to never buy drugs off the street i always had a good dealer and i had a dealer <laughs> i remember uh i quit cocaine this was years ago probably the first time i quit cocaine or something but the dealer was this guy named bobby hey bobby i'm sure he's not watching this <laughs> uh he was a real straight looking dude you know like i remember being like that's him and they're like yep he's cool and he would deliver you know so i never saw his house or anything but i ran into him on the street one night and he's like hey man i haven't seen you in a while and i was like oh yeah i stopped doing blow and he was like good for you <laughs> but i was like I, I was like i genuinely believe that you're happy for me he's like yeah man he's like i don't he's like i don't do this shit 
Yeah. Was like, Interesting. You know, he's like, he's like, what do you think? I'm driving around a BMW full of cocaine doing cocaine. He's like, absolutely not. He's like, this is just a job for me, dude. He's like, yeah, good for you, man. Yeah. But he was, while he was saying this, kind of standing in a bush downtown. So I was like, I don't really know how to feel about all that. I was like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just standing in a bush. I was like, all right, well, take it easy, Bobby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a job that has a lot of, um, a lot of downside you know, um, yeah. at any moment getting arrested or anything like that. So I can imagine. I, 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 I got the full cocaine and I can't imagine a shittier thing to do for yourself. You know? Yeah. 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 I think you know what it's like just being around people on cocaine, Never mind making them that way. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, you're like, I apologize for all the conversations we had people that don't even like each other, you know? Yeah. What are you excited about? What do you, I just want to ask you a question. If this yeah. isn't too what do you, uh, what do you have any shit that you're really digging right now that's new that you've been hearing? Uh, what have I been into that was oh, we, we just actually went on tour and we played with this band Fake Fruit from San Fake Francisco. Fruit? Yeah, that's a, that's really oh, yeah. that's, that's nice. That's yeah, a great they, name. They were, fa- I think they're from Oakland, like they're all like super young kids. Everybody's amazing- from Oakland now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it's the only kind of reasonably affordable place come, yeah. approaching downtown there. Um, but they're they're all like super cool kids like uh the singers obsessed with uh suburban lawns and they're nice. just yeah and it's like it's, it's like very musical but like has an edge so it's still punk and catchy and i thought they were fantastic always been kind of synonymous with the weirder edge in a way because uh, they were like uh i feel like back in the day when people a lot of us were living in san francisco making music and you know san francisco has like an insane history of bands but oakland was always like they were literally living on the fringe, like way out in Oakland, but also like just further removed, uh, just like the weirder cousin of a lot of the things, you know? And then there was all this really hooky pop, like you ever hear Buzzer? They Buzzer. were a great band. They were a short-lived band that had some seven inches. You might dig like snappy punk band from Oakland. It's got Andy Human in it from uh, the world and stuff. But it's like another, it's just like an Oakland scene thing, but like a lot of, you know, uh, Naked Lights, sound like fucking like bow wow wow meets crass or something they were great we did a record for them oakland's uh it's got a you know a unique thing man did you ever get to go to the 40th street warehouse there back in the day we definitely played a warehouse there i'm trying to remember what it would have been like when did they stop doing shows uh 40th street was probably ended like 10 or 15 years ago but i, I, I saw, like, played there then we played there a bunch i saw like the whip there like yeah. in the, their short tour with joe joe uh Joe from Thrones and Scotty who passed away on drums and uh dude from Carp really fucking good live show. I got really lucky to see that. But Oakland also had all the good fucking warehouses, man. You know, yeah. like San Francisco, you could get away with a lot of parties and hot shows in San Francisco, but Oakland had some like the longevity of the punk house. Uh, John Benson's purple house there, the dude from a minor forest ran shows there for years in Oakland that would have like the country teasers or fucking Thrones would play there in his fucking living room. You know, you get to see, you get to see Thrones, Joe Preston, yeah. blowing the back out of your pants while you're sitting on a dirty ass couch. You know, I was like, "This is this is the fucking life, dude." Well, it's kind of like the punk capital, like especially like you know, '90s into 2000s with Maximum Rock and Roll being there, Ebullition being there, like so like the huge distribution thing, like all these labels kind of being around there, and all these different scenes, right? Like there's you know the mm-hmm. Gilman stuff, which is completely neurosis. Neurosis, like yeah. I remember, like, I remember, uh, fucking maximum rock and roll. Every time I think, every time I hear that that name, it makes me laugh. To this one time where they're like, 
she's probably one of the first people to ever hit me up to do an interview. And I was like, really? Okay. And they're like, yeah, we want to, we want you to do an interview for the magazine. And I was like, all right, what do I do? And they're like, just interview yourself. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, like we don't really have anybody to interview you, but if you want to put an interview in the magazine, just get somebody to interview you. And I was like, are you really a magazine? I was like, it doesn't feel like this is how this is supposed to work. So we got George Chen. This is like some like drug idea that like not every idea is a great idea, but I thought it was funny at the time. I was like, we should get George. You know George Chen? He was like a scene so. dude that was in bands, but also like booked a lot of shows, did comedies, just like an all like an all around like Renaissance San Francisco dude back in the day. He lives okay. here now in L.A. But uh, we got him to interview us as John Bender from uh, Breakfast Club. And I don't know why, but then it was also when Photoshop, uh, Photoshop was new. So my drummer from Coach Ups took photos of us and then like superimposed us in with John, with Judd Nelson's character. And we sent that to Maximum Rock and Roll. And they were like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, you said interview us. And they're like, we can't print this. We'll get sued. And I was like, by who? And they're like, John Waters. <laughs> you know, I was like, John Waters is going to sue. John Waters never heard of Maximum Rock and Roll, I hate to tell you. But needless to say, uh, I don't think they printed it. I can't remember maybe they did and i can't remember but they were they've always been real cool to me so you know yeah but i love that like interview yourself and i was like that's not how that fucking works man you know <laughs> well that's the thing that about that magazine is because they had you know like obviously a relatively speaking open door policy with people who could submit interviews you'd flip through it in one second you're reading an interview with you know like uh some random hardcore band one second it's a crazy garage rock band like it really was like a it was like volunteer survey. right kind yeah. of basically yeah, yeah. You, I, think I they, didn't know that i was like you're a magazine they're like kind of <laughs> i think, I think the editor paper, yeah I, I think the editor was given like uh some sort of like sort of like a, a you know a small pittance to kind of keep that but you had to have a second job and also be the editor of maximum rock and roll like it was all baked exactly. in that there wasn't supposed to be a profit and it was never supposed to evolve past magazine. yeah exactly and it was and it to the point where I think it was really hard to keep people around because it's it's kind of thankless. Yeah. It's funny to see all these magazines that were back in the day that were like printed on like newsprint and shit and like on the cutting edge of music and like rock or whatever have all grown into these sort of like pitchfork, like sort of like Condé Nast level. Like, like, like uh, when I see like Rolling Stone, I'm like, what the fuck happened to this magazine? I'm sure this is going to bode really well for the future of my band, but you know what I mean? Like, where you're like, Justin Bieber on the cover? Come on. Like, you know, where they started, where they were like pushing new acts and like getting into the underground, you know, and like Cream and fuck, I don't know, Mojo. Like, how many more fucking covers of fucking Bob Dylan do we need? You know, you're like, or another like Pink Floyd expose, all the shit you've read before packaged in a new magazine by fucking. Mojo, I love, you know, ugh. I love that once I a do. year issue that they do the punk issue. That's always my favorite. Like, and that hopefully, Mojo? I'm on, well, Mojo will do it or Uncut will do it, where there's like that one issue where they're like, okay, let's cover the Buzzcocks, and then there'll be like a cool that's little nice. article I, in there. I can dig on that, you know. Yeah, I'm a fan. That's, I'm a Buzzcocks fan. I would read an article about the Buzzcocks, sure. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's. I didn't know I liked magazine until recently. So I finally heard those. I was like, "Fuck, these records are amazing!" And yeah, because I saw Erga Music War, which I had never seen. That that music, that concert film. You ever seen yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, incredible movie. Fucking hell, dude! Made me realize I love the Police. Yeah, <laughs> I was like. Do I love the police? I was like, I think I do, dude. Stuart <laughs> Copeland and short shorts and a headband. You know, what you I need. Would, to, I had to. You need to read Miles Copeland's book, 
Stewart's brother who ran IRS records and the guy who AR'd that whole movie. Like I'll the guy see. who put it all. No well, shit. Well, yeah, and but the he crap. was well, their dad was the guy who started the CIA. Wow, really? Yeah, and there's all this stuff about like the, at one point he tries to sign X in the book, and Billy Zoom goes in for the meeting and like finishes it and he goes, You're this is a government op, you're a CIA plant, and we're not signing to your label, and like stormed out. Didn't the IRS fuck a bunch of people over? I I, I think so because they got I know there was like a lawsuit with the Go Go's at least at one point. Yeah, you can't fuck with the Go Go's, man. No. Yeah, nope. and also those ladies were terrifying, dude. That documentary was amazing, and I was like, these these are like the most these are like the butchest dudes I've ever seen in my life. Like they were just like, you know, I, I I've heard tales from even outside of that documentary from some old heads I know around LA, and like they're like, yeah, those ladies were serious partiers, man. Like. No, they like they could fucking drink anybody, any of the other punk bands on the table, you know. Well, they were also, and they were also like, uh, they're already like seasoned veterans in some cases by that point, right? Like, Kathy had been in the Violators and the Tech Stones, and like, you know, Violators, awesome, yeah, yeah. And it's and then there's like there's you know like a bunch of them like the Eyes, there was like a bunch of them had played the Germs, you know, Belinda Carlisle and the Germs. So there was like. By the time oh, they're doing Carlisle and the Germs, she's the original drummer. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. How the fuck did I not, dude? She's awesome. She's I even so cool. to Carlisle in the fucking early nineties. I'm a fan. Oh yeah, I like. I love all their solo records. Hits. Yeah, yeah, and all their solo records are amazing. You also, know, like as uh, Joan of Arc and Bill and Ted, she was probably the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Yes. I went back and watched it recently. No offense to those guys, but I watched it again, and I was like. This movie's terrible. <laughs> I'm just waiting for like Beethoven to be like, what are you doing? Like, I was like, just give me the, uh, you know, give me the the famous guy, Napoleon. Actually, no, that whole movie's about Napoleon, to be fair. Yeah. 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 That guy's, no. the guy that plays Napoleon is ridiculous. I, I showed it to my kids. I showed the remake, the Redux that just uh -huh. came out to my kids the other week, and it was not good. The George Carlin fucking holograph. I was like, man, I wish George Carlin was around to see this because he would have a lot to say about it. He'd be like, what the fuck, man? You'd have a whole act. Just about that hologram thing. You know, I didn't know about Carlin that he had so many records, man. I like, I, you know, there's all these famous bits you hear and you see him and he was like big when I was a kid. So like, and he was just a master. He was always considered a master. So I went online and looked up like how many stand-up specials he did. Dude, it's like, I, I started going through them slowly one by one because I was like, fuck, this guy's like 30 fucking specials, you know, over the years. He's been like, he's a busy boy. Mm -hmm. And they're all, they all kind of stand up so far, so. Well, it seems like that would almost be a thing you do a comedy record a year back then if you yeah. were like huge as a stand-up guy. Why did the comedy record go away? It's kind of sad. Did comedy on vinyl? Does Patton Oswalt? Yeah. He seems hip enough to do vinyl. Does he do vinyl? Well, remember he did one on Sub Pop, I guess, in the early two thousands. There was like a brief period in was the early two thousands before 2000s. they had their uh, store in the mall and their name on a plane. Or yes, yeah, before the airport <laughs> store. <laughs> when I saw their up. name on a plane at the airport, I was like. <laughs> that, was that was my reaction i was like i have to I, my buddy was like i'm gonna go shop in the the, the store at the mall and i was like no uh, uh, i bought the, i bought weird. The, too weird right next to the hallmark and uh, chipotle <laughs> i bought the uh genesis Piorge uh biography at the sub oh, have you leaving. seen that coom documentary yet no i want to see oh, it man it's fucking great it's great it's a little it. bit short but man there was a lot of footage i hadn't seen there it goes all through Coom up through Throbbing Gristle to Psychic TV, Coil, uh, 
Cozy Fanny Tootie, uh, Chris and Cozy, yeah, like yeah. into and even dips into like their sort of tumult at the end there after Genesis when Jess Bears was dying. But like great, great footage. I, it's like it's so impressive to see those people as young people in these towns. Like they were in Hull doing that yeah. shit. They weren't <laughs> even in London yet. They're like, yeah, we were like an arts collective on the streets of Hull, and I was like, Hull. You know, you'd be like, yeah. they'd be like, yeah, my noise band played last night and I don't know, name any town in Connecticut, you know, well, just like ballsy. You're like, that's pretty ballsy, man. Definitely. Well, it's pre-punk even, right? Like, so it's like when they're doing this, just no straight one... up weird, like freak flag art, art yeah. spectacle, you know? Yeah. yeah they'd be yeah. like butt naked, dumping like mustard all over each other. And then one guy would be dressed like a hot dog running down the street. Just but like the funny thing about that. And it's, I don't know if this is English uh, politeness or what, but like you see all these like, like factory working looking dudes and old ladies shopping and shit. And everybody's kind of smiling at it. And I was like, man, they're not mad about this. I feel like if you did this in America, like you'd it'd be like a half and half thing. But I was like, but mostly, and then they interviewed like an old lady and she's like, I think it's great. It uh, made me laugh and I'm on my way to my shitty job. So why do I, why would I be mad that this guy's a naked hot dog? You know, the documentary is great though. Uh, it's, well, it's like that we were saying about the Japanese uh, music scene and the motivation to get people like people want to see people naked. People want to see people like losing their shit. Yeah, it, it, it's freeing on a, on a certain level. Right. Like mm -hmm. um, you also know, once you get naked in front of a crowd, it just gets easier every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like, have no problem now. I have a hard time putting clothes on in front of a crowd. Now, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the awkward part afterwards. That's when the shame kicks in when you have to put everything back on. To leave. I've been doing naked at the merch table. That's my new move. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. On <laughs> <laughs> the, the way like, out. Cylinders. Yeah. One last thrill before you leave. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. Um, John, I've talked to you for a very long time and I could talk to you forever. Uh, and I would love you to come back for a part two at some point in the future. If you're into yeah, that. But before you go, I'm, alive. I'm all about it. Well, I, I, I let's both keep on living, brother. But <laughs> before, you know, before I let you go, though, can I ask you a few more questions? Yeah, yeah go ahead, man. Okay. Uh, we got to talk about probably the most legendary show ever in Toronto. Uh, uh, Dan. Dan. Dan, Dan, Burke. Dan Burke, right? Yeah. He's doing a lot yeah. better now. Uh, that was at a very... I heard he's doing great. You know, yeah. I, I think I've said this in interviews before, but I will say this first and foremost, that I re actually really liked the guy. Yeah. Like, me and him were getting along fabulously early on in the evening, and I thought he... I love a, a weirdo, and I love a drug addict. So when I met him, he was super fucked up feeding a mouse that he had found, a baby mouse in the club, milk out of his mouth. And I was like, I forget, I was looking for like drink tickets or something. And I walked in and he was doing this over a pool table by himself. And I was like, hi. And he was like, oh, hey, man. Like as if, and he's like, I just found this mouse. And I was like, and you're dribbling milk out of your mouth into its mouth. And he's like, yeah, cool, huh? And I was like, that is cool. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I was like, do you work here or are you supposed to be here? You know, but then it went south during the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was enjoying watching him beat up Adam from my band. So I was like, you know, I got a little bit out of it myself. Well, that's the thing is it, he is the realist promoter in the room, you know, I heard like, he, books, right? Yeah. Well, he's there. I know a couple of people have tried to do documentaries about him and stuff like that at different points because his stories, like it's, it's, it's amazing. Like this guy who was this journalist who then moves to Toronto and always is putting shows on for bands that are 
are like way ahead of their time. Like he did the first white stripe show in Toronto. Like he did like all these shows for these bands I, early on. Like I said, I respect the guy and I actually did like him regardless of what happened between us. Like earlier in the evening, I was like, that guy's all right. And then yeah. my bandmate pushed him into a fight. Basically, you know, they were both being dickheads, but in the end I, I, I left being like, yeah, I still like him. You know? <laughs> yeah. We, I worked at a video store at that time and uh, they're very different music tastes amongst the staff, but everyone could agree right. on the hospitals. So that was like a big store outing to go and see the hospitals play that night. Were you guys at that show? I was there earlier in the evening, but I had to go because I had to work the next day. And I forget that I was racking my brain trying to remember the band that was going on forever. Well, the reason that we've that they got into the fight was because Adam insisted on cutting off the band before us, and I was like, I don't want to do that. Don't do that. They were like a surf rock band, which I I fucking loathe surf rock. I can say that safely now that I I, not even old school surf. I fucking hate it all. That being said. (laughs) They were a surf rock band. They were wearing masks and like tuxedos, like like blue suits. And I was like, we're not going to interrupt them. Fuck that. That's just rude. And I don't care how much I hate their music or whatever. But then they played for like an hour and 20 minutes. And I was like, okay, if you want to do it now, I'm down. And then Adam just was sitting behind the drum kit waiting. He's like, just say when. And then almost immediately they started fighting because dude got mad that we interrupted the other band. It's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, there's a video of it that's now, uh, well, it's like we used to rent it to the video store I worked at. Uh, like we <laughs> well, had, okay. So here's the interesting thing that happened about. Did you ever hear the story about how I got that tape? No. Okay, so I'll make this really quick. But we were at South by Southwest. I'd been partying. I'd spent all night up, and somebody's like, "I basically needed to eat." And somebody's like, "Oh, my friends having a barbecue at their house. We should go." So I got there, and I was all like peeled out from being up all night. It was hot as fuck. I walk in. Every dude there looks like you. Giant beard. Big dudes tattooed like vests and shit everybody's drinking beer and i'm like whoa these guys are all bigger than me kind of vibey not vibey it was me being a a dickhead you know i was like anticipating a problem yeah get a burger i'm hanging out and i look and there's just this dude staring at me and i was like here it goes and it's a giant bearded dude and then he's looking at me and then he's like talking to his friend and then his friend's looking at me and i'm like and I, i was basically alone too so i was like this is gonna be like, I'm gonna have to fight these two guys or I'm gonna have to run. I don't know. And then he walks over and like, I'm just like standing up from where I am. And he's like, were you in the band, the hospitals? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, did you fight that guy? Fucking Dan, whatever. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, Hey, it's the guy. And he was really nice. And he was like, I can't fucking believe it. They were at the show and his band came running over. They were just there. They saw the show. And he was the guy that videotaped it. And he's like, if you want a tape of it, I'll send it to you. And he was on that shot that, black uh night vision footage of that but he's like i would love to send it to you he's like fuck that guy <laughs> it was funny do you remember back in the day that somebody would give you a tape and it would be like like three hours of totally fucked up shit and they're like if you yeah. could get through it ben mccosker from load gave me one of these if you could get through this three hours of horrible shit at the end was black sabbath live in 1970 and you, the whole show was on the tape and you'd be like i got through like the Chuck Berry tape and a guy nailing his penis to a ladder. And then there it is. But Dwyer footage, the, yeah, like every <laughs> yeah. terrible thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My friend had one that was. Oh, yeah, Bud Dwyer. That was a classic. Yeah. yeah. My, my friend had one that was like born against, drop dead, Rorschach. But in between was like something, you know, like you're saying, completely heinous. Like. Mm-hmm. Tooth shit surgery. Porn. Yeah, shit yeah. porn or like, you know, like the. Caviar party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all these tapes that were traded around to, to everyone, 
you know, faces of death footage or something, something yeah. horrendous. And you have that to sit like, through this. Those were the seedlings of the internet right there. You realize all those kind of horrible yes. things that was like traded on VHS was like the beginning of the idea of like Reddit and YouTube and other places where you can go and feel completely disenchanted in humankind. Have you watched that HBO documentary on the rise of Q into the storm? Yeah. Yeah. When they go back and they it all goes back when they do the org chart and it's rotten.com, which is where all this shit went on the internet originally. Mm -hmm. Like you go, out where where is all these horrible videos minus the music that we were all trying to see? Yeah, rotten.com. Yeah. No, Black Sabbath. Yeah, Black Sabbath is like, oh. don't put me up there with that shit porn. <laughs> no, Rorschach was not living on there either. Yeah. You know, they, that's extreme for us. That's not extreme for the people that are looking for that. <laughs> so uh, this has been extremely fun. And anytime, John, you, you can put up with it. Please come back. Yeah, yeah. Holler, man. A total pleasure. Hi, Canada. See you guys soon, I hope, right? We're going to get across the border again. Are we opened up yet? We are. We are now. I think I think we're kind of at a point now where, you know, we've played your country, so you got to be allowed back in here. We gotta, I want to do whatever happened to Sled Island. Let's talk to that guy. That was a fun festival. Fun festival. It's still going. I got naked. That's the, one of the places I did get naked, right in town That's square. That's guy to call me, man. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And you're right there, John. We'll be back for a part two someday. Someday we'll get around to having another sit-down conversation. There's lots more to get into. By then, there'll be even more stories we have to uh, pick apart and dissect. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, uh, coming up in the next on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, there might be a gap. There might be some other episodes in between. But the next time there's a formal turned out of punk episode is going to be episode 399 the last one before the big 400 episode and uh i decided to give the people what they want people have been asking for this guy since before episode one people have been asking me to interview this guy back when i was doing stuff on much music and it has been someone that i've always wanted to sit down and talk to never really had a chance almost interviewed him for the zine that Tristan and I did way back when, but Tristan actually handled this interview. So I've actually never had the chance to sit down and, and, and talk to him in some sort of interview setting until till now. And you're going to hear it. Coming up on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, Tom DeLong from Blink-182, from Angels and Airwaves, from uh, Boxcar Racer, from, from lots of stuff. We talk about it all. I'm excited for you to hear this one. That's on the next episode. But that's it for now. Remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths, different nationalities, different races. Because, you know, what we're talking about here, these aren't political issues. These are just basic freedom issues. People deserve the right to be free. And we all need to live in a society without some sort of fascist bullshit hanging over us. So get involved in organizations that are doing good work. Look around you. If there's stuff that you kind of feel needs to be supported, support it. Your time, with your whatever. Money, if you have it. Speaking of support, support yourself. Support the scene by creating your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. Start a band. Start a fanzine. Draw some pictures. Make some stickers. Do something creative. It'll help your mental health. Um, speaking of which, meditation. I know I, I talk about this bullshit all the time, and it was something I didn't believe in at all. And then I tried it, and it kind of works for me. And i got to be honest with you. Anytime I talk to someone who's, like, really successful, like someone who's really doing it, they, they meditate. Like, <laughs> all of them meditate. And so if it's working for them, I thought maybe I should try it myself. And so 
It works. You got to remember to do it though. That's the key now, but try it. Maybe it'll work for you too. Sign your organ donor cards because that works for everybody. When they come for your organs, you don't need them and it can give someone else a new lease on life. I've seen it happen. Seen it happen. Uh, well, that's it. That's all I got for this week. Thank you everyone for listening. Stay safe and I will see you on the next episode, whatever form that takes. Bye.